Hi, and welcome to Caitlin's Column. I'm your host, Caitlin Everhart, and I am so glad that you are here. Caitlin's Column is a judgment-free lifestyle podcast, taking you through my life as a 20-something-year-old, still figuring it out and exploring the ins and outs of industries, trends, and social movements while I navigate it. Together, we will be connecting what we see on social media to our own lives and begin to understand the practices and productions behind some of our favorite items, brands, and even influencer lifestyles. So sit back, relax, or don't, and get ready to learn and leave empowered. Welcome to the very first audio column of Caitlin's Column. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than what was supposed to be scheduled. Unfortunately, I was not able to meet up with our guest in person. And trust me, you all want us to be in person because of our hilarious banter. (laughs) And I talked to her about it and we could have done it over Zoom or FaceTime. But we just, it worked out because then I had this idea, which is the audio column. And the audio column is essentially going to be and is an audio version of the news column I write, or not even news column, maybe more of a news like informational column that I write every week. And there will probably be some like slight differences between it's not just going to be me directly reading off the column. Overall, they'll be very similar, and this is just basically for you all, my listeners, because I also know that I personally have a fairly busy life, and when I have downtime, I'm usually not reading articles or news columns unless it's like fun celebrity gossip or news columns or pieces I write myself, and I still wanted to present you all with this information in a manner that if you feel like consuming it for those who are bigger podcasters you can just consume it and then for you all who want to like actually read it in a formal article format it will also be there for you all right and so our very first audio column is on the psychology of luxury fashion the psychology behind luxury fashion and what makes you want it. For as long as I can remember, fashion has been a status of wealth. Whether it was Marie Antoinette with her elaborate wigs and colorful dresses, to the virgin queen who styled red lipstick, or Coco Chanel empowering women to wear comfortable and boyish clothes in a time when few dared. These historical figures have become known for their leadership and fashion taste even long after their passing. One could argue that this is due to them being a historical symbol or reference more than a fashion icon. However, when studying history, we do not analyze the clothes of the common people with as much intrigue as we do those of high society of the time. 
In this audio column, we are going to be exploring where the intrigue of high society and high fashion luxury comes from, as well as what keeps those industries afloat. We are going to understand some of the history behind high fashion and how it plays into modern-day consumption habits and trends, as well as some of my predictions of where luxury fashion could be headed in the future. This is going to set the scene for next week's podcast episode where I interview a guest on the culture and practices of luxury fashion today. So with that being said, let's get into it. Looking back at history, the example of Marie Antoinette, she was murdered by the French people for flashing her extravagant lifestyle. Yet today, when we, as a general society, see a celebrity or a prominent figure with the 90,000 or mezbat, we don't blink an eye. What has changed to make the idea of luxury fashion and extravagance and excessive spending something that is generally okay with? Not just okay and normalized. It has become a lifestyle that we romanticize or hope to achieve. And okay, yes, I'm aware that part of the answer to that question is capitalism. But even beyond that, why are we allowing brands to overprice these items simply for a name? It, it has to be more than that. Humans thrive on feelings. And oftentimes, even when we think we are acting logically, there is still an emotional aspect behind our actions. For example, if our goal in life is to achieve happiness, we should be doing activities and surrounding ourselves with people who make us feel happy. Of course, there are many other factors at play, and those factors can impact those goals and how we achieve them. At the core, though, the premise is still there. Humans thrive on how they feel, and many of their actions and consumption habits in this case are due to the feelings associated. The feelings associated with having these high society goods must be really something to continue paying the hefty price tags. Now, I am not an expert in psychology or luxury fashion, but I have done extensive research. And when entering the stores of the likes of Gucci, Chanel, Dior, etc., there is a sense of excitement and intrigue. And even more than that, there is a sense of longing and desire, at least for me. Which brings us back to the question being referenced at the beginning of this audio call. What makes us want to buy luxury fashion and goods? Why would I want the Dior book tote when I can buy something that looks so similar off of Amazon? Well, to start, those totes are really freaking cute. <laughs> but I also know I have this assumption, and I think a lot of society and probably all of us in general have a similar assumption that if we are spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on a bag compared to 30, the practices behind creating that luxury bag, as well as the quality of the luxury bag slash item itself, are going to be superior to the cheaper one. And sadly, that's simply not the case. 
In 2019, in Italy, a head of a company was arrested on charges of employing dozens of undocumented garment workers for various luxury brands. These brands included Armani, Saint Laurent, and Fendi. And all the brands that I just mentioned denied that they had contracts with this factory, as one would. But even if that particular story is not 100% true or factual, there are countless other similar stories that display the same questionable behaviors and practices by luxury brands. The reason I bring this up is because many luxury brands in modern day fashion houses got their start in Italy. Between the rich history and current idolizations of events such as Milan Fashion Week, it is safe to say that the luxury culture is still very much present. Luxury is often what I think of when I see a made in Italy tag on one of my clothing items or furniture. Does the phrase fine Italian leather goods ring a bell? However, in reality, many of the productions behind the luxury items are not too different from what we'd assume items branded made in China would be. Did you know that Italy does not have a minimum wage and that the country actually has the lowest wages in all of the EU with a large majority of its population being in the working poor class? I was shocked to hear this as it being a first world country. But in terms of luxury goods, often companies will hire artisans, namely women who work from home. These women are usually paid four, five, six, seven dollars an hour. And what makes this situation even worse is that oftentimes the people hired are the working poor and they cannot advocate for higher wages due to lack of resources, lack of education, lack of financial stability, lack of confidence, and more. Hearing the story and then doing the research to back it up, in addition to making me feel quite flustered and frustrated, it altered the way in which I view luxury brands. And I, I honestly, I, I thought I knew a good portion of the practices behind luxury items, but I don't know. I feel kind of betrayed in a sense, lied to. I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but I've talked about my feelings enough. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is that through these articles, it has led me to alter the way in which I view my purchases, in which I think about my future purchases. This is past simply the luxury sector. That story for me has acted as a reminder that, and I think it's a good reminder for anyone, regardless of what you're buying, that the price or even geographical location of where you purchase an item cannot guarantee ethical practices, fair wages, or equal compensation. With that being said, I think it's a perfect time to transition into how these marketed themselves in a way where 
much of this knowledge is not common and how that smart marketing combined with the integration of social media as they've become involved with trends in various aspects, as well as how all of that relates back to the human rights issues and sustainability in which these companies are having is all overshadowed because of their smart marketing, incredible branding, and use of market psychology in order to do all this. Our first marketing tactic ties back into that psychological response I mentioned earlier on. Simply put, luxury brands are so successful because they can trigger psychological desires and then connect them to prospective purchases. Luxury brands know how to satisfy the most basic human psychological wants. These wants are the feeling of identity and the feeling of belonging, which is a part of the reason why luxury brands have such a loyal customer base and are increasingly growing as an industry. In a world where there is so much mass-produced items, people are increasingly craving things where they feel unique and that are special to them. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been shopping for a designer item, and I know personally I have never bought one. I have, however, browsed through so many stores, probably too many according to my family, (laughs) but the environment while shopping for high fashion or luxury accessories feels very intimate and is extremely tailor-made. Luxury brands do this because of something known as marketing psychology. Marketing psychology is understanding the subconscious human behavior patterns and then aligning those patterns to whatever is being marketed. This can be done in a variety of ways, whether by utilizing certain phrases, invoking various emotions, or simply giving the target audience a deal that they cannot afford to miss which usually, given the price of luxury items, is not the case. However, an easier way to think of these tactics in broader terms, in terms that I'm sure at least many of my generation is familiar with, is through the Aristotle appeals, or Aristolonian? I don't know how to pronounce it. Otherwise known as the ethos, pathos, and logos, or credibility, emotional, and logical appeals. And my most sincere apologies if mentioning those phrases gave you horrible flashbacks to high school English. However, I bring them up because, one, they are tactics that many of us are familiar with, begrudgingly or not. And two, the Aristotle appeals are essentially the core of psychological marketing of the luxury good industry, and I'm going to walk you through why. Starting off with ethos or the credibility of the luxury industry, many of the fashion houses have curated incredible reputations, partly due for being around for such a long time. For example, Hermes was founded in 1837 and Cartier was founded 10 years later in 1847. Louis Vuitton in 1854 and Burberry in 1856. To put their age in perspective, the Civil War didn't start until 1861, which is five years after Burberry was founded. I felt it was only natural to start with the history of these brands because by buying a luxury purse, you are getting so much more than a bag. It is seen by many as an investment, Q logos, or logical appeal, 
And this is in partly due to the rich history and credibility established over time of these brands. The ethos slash credibility of these brands combined with how long they have been established lead the respective labels and the consumers who buy from these brands to have feelings of trust and security. Authenticity is so important today. With the influencer culture, these brands are just growing bigger and bigger through getting promotions on social media, more people wanting the bags, um, because they view them as trendy rather than actually sitting back and understanding the ethos or the rich credibility and history behind these brands. That's a huge reason why there are differences and why there are so many that are being replicated. I also, this is going to be a hot take, but it's also why I think that if they aren't brought back to their roots soon, I think we could see a decrease in luxury brands because the market is going to be so saturated with these goods. And that's actually exactly what I'm going to talk to next. Now, at the forefront of market saturation and the amount of goods produced, that is highly, and this probably makes sense, or maybe it could seem like a, I don't know, a conundrum to some. The market saturation is highly connected to waste. And this makes sense in fast fashion because there are so many goods produced that trends will fall out of trend very easily. Cycle of trends move quickly. And they produce so many of those items that as soon as they're in style, they're out of style and then into the landfills. However, you wouldn't expect it to be like this with the luxury good industry, or at least I didn't. I figured, and I've talked about this some already, but when I picture, if I am buying a Chanel bag, I picture a lady in like a nice quarters, maybe a factory, but I picture like an upscale factory sitting quietly, hand sewing each like stitch, even though I guess it doesn't make any sense when we have machines and things today. But if I'm like getting an artisan crafted item, I am just expecting the utmost attention to detail and it being very uniquely and handmade for myself, which is obviously a huge part of the reason why people invest in luxury goods is because the feeling of something unique and authentic, which I'm going to circle back to very soon. Now, going back to the saturation of luxury goods, I personally wouldn't expect the luxury good market or I guess just a general consumption market to be saturated with luxury goods in the first place, whether that's like Chanel bags or, you know, Cartier watches to Gucci belts. If it is something that is more accessible, which I've touched on some, the accessibility of brands and their marketing, you If everyone can buy a luxury item, I think that sort of goes against what the whole concept and idea of what quote-unquote luxury even means. And that is what has led the next statistics to be just so shocking for me. It'll all be linked in my column, and I'll have all the links also quickly linked below that I've gotten all my information from, so you can go and read them. But from Forbes, a prime example is the situation that's actually led Burberry. Today is now they're considered one of the front runners in sustainability within the luxury fashion industry. 
However, it's because of the amount of heat they got in 2018. And it was like that Burberry burnt, like burned, like physically like lit something on fire, releasing all those toxic chemicals into the environment. They burnt the equivalent of 38 million US dollars. And according to Forbes, they destroyed unsold stock, rolls of unused fabric. And an employee said that this is commonplace for luxury labels to do. And that it was even super hard for her, um, that same employee, because she was watching all the leather and fur. I think she's a vegan. And she was watching all that leather and all that fur that just went completely to waste and all the animals that had died for nothing. And if you know me personally, you know, I've been trying to really get into making my own clothes of unused fabric or fabric that I don't need anymore. Just one, I think it's a useful skill to have. But also the fact that they didn't even just burn, you know, fabrics or throw it away. They did leather and fur. And that is all. And the reason they did this is because they'd mass produced Burberry, a brand that's, I mean, it's not nearly, you know, a Chanel level of high luxury brand or Hermes, but it is a still a, a quote unquote luxury brand and one of the oldest ones too, as I mentioned earlier. The reason they do this is because if they're simply to send all their products for recycling, that leaves those products in the company to be vulnerable to having items sold on the black market, thus being more accessible. Burberry isn't the only brand to have done this. Uh, Richemont, I believe is how it's pronounced, who owns the brands Cartier and uh, Montblanc, also were, I don't know, 2018 seemed to be a big year for all the sustainability practices to come out, but they hit the headlines in May of 2018 for taking back 437 million euros, which was equivalent to 572 million US dollars of watches for destruction to avoid markdown prices. And that's another reason why luxury goods are often destroyed because of the reputation of having something marked down. And I am not sure if y'all noticed this, but I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Style Your Mind podcast. That's one I really like. I've reposted on Caitlin's column. But anyways, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how one of their marketing tactics is that they do not do sales because they don't want one, like, you know, customers who they started with to feel like they were cheated or that they shouldn't have paid full price, whatever, whatever. I think this person was like an entrepreneur of sorts. So I think they're selling like classes or courses, like a life coach. The same thing goes for luxury brands is that you rarely, rarely, I cannot talk, you rarely see sale. And in order to avoid that, they destroyed hundreds of millions of dollars. When you think about it again, it's like, well, why were they able to afford to do that? Because they mark up their products so much anyway. So it, it really is going back to the whole idea of you are paying for a feeling and for a brand which invokes that feeling rather than the quality of the product itself, which ties back into what I mentioned earlier, the need for authenticity and uniqueness that you feel the luxury market brings. Now, tying into the psychological response, authenticity, feeling unique, and feeling seen is extremely important today. In a world where everything seemingly is being mass-produced, To have something that feels authentic and uniquely 
for you is an amazing feeling. One of the tactics in which these brands are using is the use of influencers. These influencers are able to market these items to us in an almost authentic manner because it's not like they're celebrities. They're normal people who happen to have a large following encouraging us to buy from these brands. And these brands are already well known due to the rich history and culture behind their foundings or the ethos. So those combined make the luxury industry so much more accessible despite their high price tag. To understand how the societal and cultural influences play into our want to buy a bag, we have to understand the innate human response to buy that bag to begin with. Sorry, my dog is opening my door. <laughs> um, so the reason we want to buy anything outside of our daily and physical necessities is it's like, okay, now all of them came in psychological response. Hi guys. Buying items can be related to the psychological drive, such as a human desire for identity and for belonging. And this response, this need for those feelings are heightened when society kind of rallies behind them like it has done with this with the luxury good industry. So now the time where I relate all this back to myself. <laughs> well, or, you know, just daily life and other things that I think people who are listening to this episode could relate to. I've already talked about this some, but I'm currently at the time of recording 21 years old, entering my senior year of college. I go to TCU, Texas Christian University. TCU is a fairly wealthy school in terms of tuition, in terms of culture, history, privilege, etc. And you're probably like, okay, where is this going? But on campus, I've seen a fair share of luxury bags, luxury items, as well as just the culture surrounding the whole idea of luxury. But I am lucky in the sense, not only am I beyond privileged to be able to attend such a amazing school, I rambled about it so much in my first episode, but I am also lucky because, at least in my experience, if you don't have a luxury item, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be an outcast or in the minority for lack of a better word. It's not like that at TCU. It is a very wealthy school, but the wealthy, the richness of the campus culture, etc., isn't automatically associated with flaunting that wealth. However, I have many friends who go to SMU, Southern Methodist University, which is in Dallas. So like a half hour away from me, our rival school, so fun. <laughs> but it's also a very wealthy school. However, it is completely different there. If you do not have name brand, authentic items at that, you are basically considered a misfit. You're considered poor. Like you don't have a real Chanel bag, what are you doing? I know it was a big thing, my friend, I'm not going to say her name, but she told me when she transferred, or like when she went to SMU that everyone had Hermes bracelets. And she's like, I don't want to pay. I don't know how much it was. I think she said like $5,000 for a bracelet. 
It's like the classic one with the H. I don't know if it's actually $5,000. But she felt like, she's like, look, I feel like I need to get one so I can fit in. And obviously, I, I am aware how privileged I am to say and tell these stories that I, I, I'm not trying to complain about going to a wealthy school or having the ability to go to a wealthy school. I am simply trying to show a side of the luxury good industry and the luxury good culture where they are a part of the societal pressures and tie into the psychological reasoning for why we feel like we need a luxury item. I'm just trying to offer a glimpse for whoever's listening. And this doesn't isn't solely about luxury goods, but because you are spending so much money on an item, to really think about why we feel the need to buy that item or what we think that item is going to achieve for us. What is our end goal in purchasing a $10,000 bag, a $5,000 bracelet? What are what does that do for us? How is that material item going to help us in our daily lives? How is it going to help us achieve certain goals, dreams? I am not trying to shame anyone for buying a bag, for being able to afford a bag or a watch or ring or whatever. I don't know <laughs> what you're spending your money on. You worked for it. You sh- you've spent it however you see fit. I just am trying to offer you the tools to empower you to make an informed decision because I know a lot of what I'm saying isn't widespread knowledge. Or even if it isn't is widespread knowledge, it's not knowledge that we just think about when we go to buy an item. So I'm just encouraging that mindfulness and giving you all the information to Just be empowered because knowledge is power, but it is really only power if you use that knowledge, you do something with it. You know, whether or not you buy the bag or don't buy the bag, you still have the power of knowing what you're doing. And that's really incredible. So just if you're in the market for something, really just take a second, maybe breathe, especially if you're going to drop a lot of money on it, and just think about why you want to buy that item. What's it going to do for you? Obviously, support, treat yourself and everything, but think also, do your research and about the institution that you're choosing and whether or not it's worth the money you're spending. So what I'm trying to say is just, as always, encouraging mindfulness when shopping and consuming not only content, but also investing our money in all of the purchases. <laughs> and I really want you, and I hope you can, see your worth outside of external factors, such as your social circle, a bag, or literally anything. I will be doing a part two of this topic that is concerning a lot more internal, external factors and diving deep into the societal, cultural, and psychological narratives that have been created around the luxury good industry that leads us to feel a sense of worth when having them or a sense of worthlessness when not, and then how certain classes and various people, like I talked about TCU and SMU and other institutions and things, how they have been affected by the luxury good industry and what that is like. So basically today we have just skimmed what is essentially a whole mill, a whole mill, a whole molehill of topics, ideas, and scandals surrounding the luxury industry. I should have that part two up sometime soon. 
But knowing me, I could very well get distracted. I've been reading a dissertation by Yajin Wang. I might have butchered her name, so I'm so sorry. But it is about everything I just mentioned. And she even goes into the different type of competencies. Totally butchered that word as well. Surrounding the luxury industry and why people feel the need to buy luxury goods. Um, I've also been toying with maybe in the meantime doing little mini-sodes of luxury brands like specifically and explain all the crossroads I just mentioned such as like how have they become trendy what is their history what are the influencers that support these brands are there any scandals and then also like talk about the human rights and sustainability aspect obviously because that's my whole point of this podcast so I would basically be doing what I did today maybe a little more casual and hone in on a specific brand and if that's something that interests you I would love to hear that All right. I think that brings today's episode to a close. Thank you for listening. It genuinely means so much to me that you're taking the time out of your busy schedule for Caitlin's column. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it five stars, leave a nice review, or share it with a friend. It seriously helps so much with the podcast's growth. If you felt that the episode was less than five stars, reach out to me personally through DMs or the contact Caitlin's form on my website. I'm always open to constructive criticism and bettering myself as well as this platform. Speaking of platforms, you should follow all of mine. They will be in the show notes alongside all the links from today's episode. I hope you'll have a great rest of your morning, afternoon, evening, or night. And as always, do good, be good, bye good. Until next time, Caitlin's Column.